actually point people, lead people to Jesus Christ. And, and in doing it, it's made us all step back and think about God's work in our own lives. And to step back and think, can I really share the gospel with someone? And, and then we found there's some intrepidation there as far as, oh, I don't know if I really want to do that, if we're being honest with, with each other. And then when we run into the reality of the Spirit of God prompting us when we're with someone to plant a seed, to give the gospel, then we run into some of these conflicting things. And, and in thinking about it, there's a number of things that apply what people think of us, um, our own inadequacies, and there are many other things that prevent us from being the witnesses of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But as I was thinking about this and praying about it, I thought, you know, I think there's one aspect of, of a forgotten doctrine that maybe plays an impact in this. And I, I think that forgotten doctrine, to a large degree, is the Bible's teaching on hell. Now, just me saying that, every one of you had some reaction. Some of you may go back and you probably have to be my age or older and you may have in your mind a red-faced preacher screaming and hollering, and we get the term preaching hellfire and brimstone, okay? Some of you may say, you know, um, I haven't ever heard much about hell. Some of you might be saying, oh no, where's he going today? My kids are here, and I don't want them to be scared by this teaching. Now, most of us would rather hear love and grace. I know that's much easier to preach about. But to deal with the wrath of God oftentimes makes us appear narrow-minded, judgmental, and it can be angry. And there is no way any discussion about hell should be done with any delight like, People are going to hell. God, we read in Ezekiel 33, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Sometimes I think as believers, we think God's going to have this big smile on his face as he casts people into hell. No, he's broken hearted over it. 
But suppose the Bible told us nothing about hell. Would it really make the Scriptures more loving and compassionate? Does concealing an unpleasant truth demonstrate that we really care more about others' destinies and others' souls? In the passage in Ezekiel 33, it says, "If, if you're the watchman and you know danger is coming and you don't warn them, that is not an act of courage, that is not an act of love, that is not an act of compassion, that is an act of cowardice, that is an act of, of vile punishment. And the, the Bible's teaching on this whole aspect of hell is something that we need to be reminded of. And, and we've often said, well, I don't want to scare people with the doctrine of hell. Jude 22 says, On some have compassion, making a difference, <clears throat> but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating the garments that are defiled therewith. So to really say, I don't want to scare people with the doctrine of hell is really unbiblical. It's not our purpose necessarily to scare, but the truth is we must speak what the Bible says about it. When when we abandon the teaching on hell, you ignore much of the emphasis of the epistles on coming judgment, you will need to skip large portions of Jesus' teaching on the gospel, and we'll come back to that. And, and you might as well rip the book of Revelation out of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 20, I want to call your attention to verse 7, and I want to read verse 7. Through 15, and then I want us this morning to get in and look at what the Bible teaches us about hell. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan was released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne. And him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. 
and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. An ominous picture that is painted here that, summarizing it, hell is prepared for the devil and his angels. But anyone whose name is not written in the book of life, who has not trusted Christ for the forgiveness of sin, it says, would be cast into the lake of fire. As we come to this subject today, It's important for us to understand Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. When you think of that, I love thinking about heaven. I, it is the blessed hope. It is the glorious appearing that we look forward to. But when we understand in Jesus' ministry... And, and it's amazing, more than anywhere else, it's through the Gospels that we find Jesus teaching about hell. He reminded men and women of the seriousness of eternal matters. And it's almost like God said, this is such a serious matter, I'm entrusting this to the person of Jesus Christ, and he will be the one that teaches the doctrine of eternal perdition. Virtually everything we know that the Bible teaches about hell comes from the lips of Jesus Christ directly. We can't take Jesus seriously without taking seriously what he says about eternal punishment. Jesus talks, as we said, more about hell than he does heaven. And it's clearly evident that he believed it, that he warned about it, and that he had that on his mind because the purpose of his coming was to bear the burden of our sin which condemns us to separation from God. So, we know first of all that hell is an eternal place of torment prepared for the devil and his angels. So, the initial design, why God designed hell, it was for Satan and those that followed him in rebellion as eternal punishment against them. We read that in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. And you read it in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41. But I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. Here we find the account of the rich man and Lazarus. I'll begin reading in verse 19, and then as we get down into it, we're going to stop and point out some various characteristics that are here. 
There was a certain, verse 19 of Luke 16, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in hell, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now let's just stop there. So here's the pic. This is Jesus teaching. And here's the picture. A rich man died, and it's not, it's not because he was rich that he went to hell. It's because he rejected Christ. Lazarus did not have favor with God because he was a poor man. It was because he'd repented of his sins. But I want us to focus on some of the characteristics that we find regarding hell. Notice verse 23, And being in torments, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Hell is a place of consciousness. There are many religions that teach that once you die, if there is a place of hell, you will be annihilated. Many teach there is no place as hell. A great place to start in understanding false religions, what do they say about Jesus Christ and what do they say about hell? If you want followers, you don't talk about hell. But the reality is that hell is a very real place and it is a place of consciousness. He knew that he was in torments. He lifted up his eyes. He was conscious of what was going on. Secondly, verse 24, Have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this place. Hell is a place of fire. Hell is a place of torment. Hell is a place of thirst. These, this is Jesus teaching. This isn't something we concocted. This is reality. It is a place of all of those things. People debate, is it a literal fire? Is it torment? This is what Jesus says. It is a place of fire and torment and thirst. And I'm not going to go into great detail on that, but... Um, we, we can't even begin to comprehend and our minds don't even want to go there. The, the severe torment that there is and the torment. One of the worst things about torment is if you think there is no end to it. And this is 
a place of fire, of torment, and thirst. Notice verse 25. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and you are tormented. So first, secondly here, we notice it is a place of memories. He said, remember. And he was able to go back and remember the things that happened in his life. You think of the memories that some people are going to have in the lake of fire. They're going to remember when, when someone maybe gave them a Bible track or tried to witness to them and they blew it off and, and said, I don't want anything to do with them. They're going to remember when the Spirit of God convicted and they turned away from it. They're going to remember hell is not a place where you're just out there. It is a place filled with memories. And he goes on and says, verse 26, And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those pass there pass to us. So he says, it, it is a place of separation with no escape. Those that are in hell cannot pass from there to heaven, and those that are in heaven cannot pass from there to hell. It is a place of separation and no escape. This last week I talked to a gentleman and a very, very, very devoted um, in his religion. Um, he, he has his watch set for every hour that he prays. And during the three o'clock hour of the day, he prays. At, that's the holy hour, he calls it. And he prays through the seven stations of the cross at the three o'clock hour. At every hour, he prays for his relatives and friends he knows that God would deliver them from purgatory and have mercy upon them. I don't believe I've met a man more committed and dedicated to his religion than this man. And, and I shared with him, I, I said, I asked him how we got into this. I said, how do you believe a person knows they're going to heaven? And he said, well, we believe it's kind of up in the air. And, and this is when he went on and explained about this purgatory and things. And, and we're hoping... By my prayers, I can make their time shorter in purgatory and they get to heaven. That isn't what the Bible says. I shared with him, it's not of works that we have done that we deliver ourselves or anyone else. It is what we've done with Jesus Christ. There is a great gulf and it's not like well, 
after this life, you'll have a second chance and you'll be able to, to do something else. To No. It is a place of separation with no escape. You notice verse 27. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Hell is a place where no one wants others to come to. You notice this. He, he came to the realization that there's no escaping. And what was the next thing on his mind? Would you, would you send Lazarus? I have five brothers. And I do not want them to come to this place. I've... I've visited with arrogant individuals that said, oh yeah, I'm probably going to hell and all my buddies are and we're going to party. No, that's completely erroneous. There won't be anybody that's desirous of any of their friends to come there. They are desirous of them being given the message of the gospel so that they avoid this, there is no one in hell who does not believe in hell. And there is no one in hell that wants other people to come join them there. There is a burden for others. As we mentioned earlier, it is a place prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell is a place, and to me this perhaps is one of the greater things about hell, is a place of wicked companions. I don't know if you've ever been in situations where you could sense evil. Where there was just... Uh, like this this whole place was given over to evil or this individual had an aura of evil about them i have been in situations and it's like it's it's unsettling it it's like you know something isn't right here there is a genuine sense of evil and, and sold out to evilness. I cannot imagine what it would be like to be in the presence of Satan and his demons for all eternity. And that's the point. It is for all eternity. Turn to Mark chapter 9. Jesus again teaching... Mark chapter 9, notice verse 42, But whosoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, 
It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. He repeats the same thing, the same statement. It'd be better to enter into life maimed in verse 45. And then the same statement, verse 46, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. He gives the same thing again in verse 48, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. What do you think that means? It means it's eternal. The worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. How can that be? We can't explain it, but that's exactly what God tells us. Hell is physical pain. It's loneliness. It's accentuated by fear and regret and separation from God. And it is absence of a second chance. John MacArthur said, Take everything bad that has ever happened in your life. Roll it all into one experience and make it permanent. All the pain, all the disappointment, all the failure, all the hatred, all the bitterness, all the fear, all the anxiety. And then add to that fact that there is no hope. That it will never get better. And if you were in the severest torture and the most profound, relentless torment physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally, you would just be starting to understand a little bit of what hell is like. It is a place of the most profound suffering compounded by the fact and the realization that it lasts forever and nothing will ever change. You're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm a believer. Why is this so important to me? Because you have family members and you have co-workers, and you have neighbors, and you have people that you do business with, that that is their destiny apart from Jesus Christ. If on the way home today, you came upon a house that you saw had burst into flames, you would be most remissful of any excuse as a human being if you just looked the other way and drove on. Well, I'm not experienced in firefighting. Well, I don't know what to do. And and we have desensitized ourselves as believers We've anesthetized hell that it's not all that tormenting. 
And the reality is, God hasn't changed anything of what he's taught us about hell. And it really needs to come to be a reality in our lives. And the reality of hell should cause us to do a number of things. Number one, it should cause us to run to Jesus for mercy. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the judgment of God is upon us. The wages of sin is separation from God, death. And the only cure for our sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. His death, His burial, and His resurrection alone forgive sins. And if you're here today and you have any doubt whatsoever, you need to go to Jesus Christ and settle that in your heart and mind. And honestly, my prayer has been this week in preparing for this, that if there are any that are not truly a child of God, that God's Spirit would convict and put the fear of hell in their heart, that would cause them to run to Jesus. It is the only, it is the only answer to this whole dilemma of my sin and hell. Jesus said in John 5, Truly, truly, I say unto you that whoever hears my word and believes in him that sent me has eternal life, And does not come into judgment or hell, but is passed from death unto life. That's the good news. That we pass from death unto life. That every one of us, every person born into this world is born in sin and condemned. And our only prospect is hell. Until we come to trust Jesus Christ alone for our sin. Then, and only then, are we passed from death unto life. So, we need to run to Jesus for His mercy through the blood of Jesus Christ. And He says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There is therefore now no condemnation hell to them who are in Christ Jesus we have passed from death unto life but you and you alone are responsible for this it doesn't matter what your parents say it doesn't matter what you think it matters do you know based on scripture that you have been given spiritual life by faith in Jesus Christ To run to Jesus for mercy. And then secondly, the reality of hell should cause us to be filled with ceaseless praise for his deliverance. I mean, as as I prepared this week, I went before God and said, God, please forgive me for taking for granted the fact that you delivered my soul from hell. 
and forgive me for complaining and, and letting my praise be robbed because the weather isn't right and the politics aren't right and the economy isn't right and, and these people aren't right and I'm not right and blah, 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 blah. Lester Roloff said, if all Christ ever did for me was save me from my sin, I should be praising him continually. Not minimizing that, but if he did nothing else, if he didn't bless you in any other way, he delivered my soul from eternal fire and torment and helplessness and hopelessness and I don't have anything to praise God for. Well, then you better go back and check if you're saved. Don't have anything to praise God for? I was condemned. I, I was right there on the brink of hell and He rescued me from sinking sands. He rescued me. He saved our soul. And, and we can't praise Him. Anybody have a praise item? Every day we wake up, we ought to say, thank you, God, that I'm not waking up in hell. Because that's what we deserve. Every one of us deserves it. And it's only because of Jesus. We should be filled with ceaseless praise for His deliverance. Thirdly, The reality of hell should cause us to be broken for people without Christ. I mean, we read in in Revelation 20, anyone not found in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. I mean, let that grip our heart and soul. I mean... I've heard someone say, if, if, if you could be hung over hell for five minutes, I would say, if, if we saw into hell for five seconds, it would change how we view things. And then, and then to see this person that, that is a good person and a good neighbor. But wait a minute, without Christ? This good person will be forever separated in the lake of fire? To be burdened. The doctrine of hell is the destiny of multitudes and multitudes of people. And we should not think about it without being broken and burdened. When is the last time that you prayed for a lost person? And hopefully you've been doing that because in our studies it's exhorting you to do it. When is the last time you wept over a lost person? That you were burdened enough that that you said, God, that could be me. God, have mercy on them. God, use me. We live as though 
hell is not a reality. We know it is as believers, but we live as though it's not. We live as though it, well, that's too bad. The reality of hell should cause us to run to Jesus for mercy, to be filled with ceaseless praise for His deliverance, to be broken for people without Christ. And fourthly, it should cause us to prepare our hearts and minds to unashamedly share Christ at every opportunity. To prepare ourselves... To share Christ. So the first way I prepare myself is I love God with all my heart and all my soul. I build my walk with God. I protect my walk with God. And it's not just to be like Christ. It's to be like Christ to make a difference in others. So I build my walk with God and I love others. The two great commands that he gives And I equip myself so that I can share what God has done in my life and I can share the gospel so that others can trust Jesus Christ as Savior. And to unashamedly share Christ at every opportunity. This and and through our studies that we're going through It has been convicting to me, and this is where we as a church and as Christianity in our nation today have failed. We have failed to proclaim the gospel at every opportunity to share Christ. I mean, if, if hell is real... It will change how we live. But do we really believe it? So, today it comes down to your response today. You're either here today as a child of God, born again through faith in Jesus Christ alone, or you are here today as dead spiritually, still in your sin, and condemned to an eternity in hell. The lake of fire, as the Bible calls it. So, if if you have never called upon Jesus Christ, and you notice, never once have I mentioned baptism or church membership or coming to this church or doing good works. It's trusting Jesus Christ alone. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ, today is the day that God calls you to say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me by the blood of Jesus Christ. I ask you to forgive my sins and save my soul. And Jesus said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is the greatest news ever. And you're sitting here today, I've done that, I'm good to go. Ezekiel 33 says, I've raised you up to be a watchman. I've raised you up to be a witness, an ambassador, you're my representative. 
I've given you this. And, and if you see the danger of a literal hellfire and you do not warn them, he says, their blood will be on your hands. And I don't believe there's a one of us here today, beginning with myself, that can say, hey, I have been the witness, the watchman. I, I got her all down, Lord. Every one of us have vast areas of improvement to be the representative that God wants us to be. Why should, why should God answer our prayers for safety, protection, comfort, and blessing when we're not doing what He wants us to do? You know, so you tell your kids, take the garbage out and clean your room. And you look out and they're playing basketball or fooling around. And they come in and say, hey, can I, can I have a Coke? Sure. You're not prone to give them a Coke. Why? They're not doing what they're asked to do. We say, God, make America. Bring revival in America. And what we mean is, so my 401k stays up and there's peace and there's not trouble in the streets and everything is good. But we're not doing what he wants. And it comes down to this. And I'm preaching to myself here. Do we really believe what the Bible says about hell? That's one thing, let alone about our responsibility. Do we really believe Jesus? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take these feeble words of mine and empower them by your Spirit through the word of you from the Bible and awaken in the hearts of every believer that we would take personal being your witnesses. That we'd have wisdom from above. And Lord, I pray that we would be faithful witnesses of yours. And Lord, I pray for any individual here today that has never called upon you for the forgiveness of sins. They're not sure they have everlasting life. Lord, I pray even now they would cry out to you and pray, Lord, have mercy on my soul and save me by the blood of Jesus Christ. And Lord, that they would place their faith and trust entirely in you for the forgiveness of sin. Lord, awaken us to what burdens your heart. May it burden our heart. And Lord, I pray that you would be pleased as we represent you well. For we pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen.